0: Welcome to another CTSNet podcast. Uh, In this week's edition, we've got uh, some quite shocking statistics on the incidence of stroke after TAVA. Uh, We've got a really, really good guide of how to assess a patient with an LVAD who has low blood pressure. And there's some really quite shocking news about current uh, views on the workforce in congenital surgery in the USA. Some fabulous videos this week, in particular, an absolute beauty for residents on aortic cannulation. Uh, We've got an amazing video on Tava explant from Vince Gaudiani who's doing a brilliant series for us and finally something for the thoracic surgeons we've got a really nice s 78 8 segmentectomy so lots to check out on CTSnet this week uh, of course we'll be in the STS next week so uh, catch up with us then so much for tuning in for our chilly January CTSnet Beat podcast. Uh, it's freezing here in England and rainy, but I'm sure it's a lot colder over there in America if you're over there. So stay inside and watch videos on CTS Net. That's my recommendation. Uh, we've actually got some really interesting uh, journal articles for you this week and some really good videos. And there's a lot more coming up, so keep an eye out uh, on CTSnet Net over the coming weeks. The first uh, article I thought was really interesting Interesting. So this is by uh, Dr. Acuno uh, and others from the University of Bern in Switzerland. And it's published in Jack Cardiovascular Interventions uh, this month. Uh, the title of it is Long-Term Risk of Stroke After Transcatheter Aortic Valve Replacement. And this is from the Swiss TAVI Registry. Now, this is a big registry. Uh, they have uh, been collecting data for 10 years and they have 11900 157 patients. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Uh, the average age is 81, uh, and it's 50-50 males and females. Uh, and, uh, and they looked at, uh, at what instance the instance of stroke was. Now, unsurprisingly, uh, 12% of patients had already had a stroke in the past. 30% of patients were in A.F., but it was really quite a high instance of stroke. So uh, the 30-day instance was 3%, one in 30. Um, and two-thirds of those had had them in the first two, 20, 48 hours after TAVA. So that's really quite uh, surprising. And then at one year, 4.3% had had a stroke. And at five years, 7.8% had had a stroke. You know, that's like one in 12 at five years of having a stroke after TAVA. Ever. um now, if you try and do an adjustment, because, you know, is that not the average uh, incidence of a stroke in an 80-year-old? Uh, well, but if you do the age match comparison, uh, then actually this is significantly higher for the first two years after TAVA. So it doesn't seem to actually be just random chance. This is a real effect. So in the first year, um, you've basically got a, a 7.2% of stroke uh, and uh, for a man and 68 for a lady. Um, and that is Really, quite a lot. So, what is the cause? Maybe tavas have a lot more turbulent flow uh, in around the valve. So, um, it's it's unknown. But it does seem in an 11,000 patient database that there is a significant increased risk. And uh, I'd. Quite uh, got it on my job list to go and have a look and see what the instant stroke is for a simple uh, biological valve done surgically. But but it does seem that this is really quite high. So interesting uh, to have a look at and As many of us would actually say, um, a lot of our patients are like, you know, I I almost don't mind dying in an operation, but I do mind being left uh, with a massive stroke, unable to walk, unable to talk, unable to do my daily activities. So often patients value uh, absence of stroke more than mortality as well. So this is actually quite an important paper, really interesting. Check that out uh, on CTSnet this week and have a look at Jack uh, for that. So the second paper that we have selected for you is absolutely brilliant. Uh, this is in Jack Heart Failure, um, and this is a state-of-the-art review by Edward Rodenius Alencia uh, and colleagues, Vivek Rao, Filio Billia, and many others from Toronto, uh, that wonderful center there. And, uh, and this is a state of art review entitled, Value of Invasive Hemodynamic Assessments in Patients Supported by Continuous Flow Left Ventricular Assist Devices. So basically, uh, if there's loads and loads of patients now who are having their heart failure treated by an LVAD, there's a lot of people getting out there into the community, living life uh, normally. But of course, they've got a really high instance of coming back into hospital with heart failure Uh, and uh, and if you don't get back to your your national center that's doing the vads if you're eight hours away 12 hours away in north canada or rural america or or deep darkest europe then uh, you actually need a peripheral unit to actually be able to have some kind of uh, flow diagram or pathway for evaluating so that when they phone up uh, the major center then they might have some insights into the cause of the heart failure. So they have produced absolutely banger, wonderful uh, flow diagram and advice for for a sort of, you know, standard level uh, hospital that's got a decent cardiology team to really be able to evaluate these patients. so what, what do they actually recommend in there? Well, they, they've uh, they they've got a really nice flow path. They check your INR, check that it's less than three, uh, start uh, increasing the uh, revolutions depending on if it's uh, an HVAD or HeartMate 2, HeartMate 3. They've got specific advice for that. Uh, have a look for suction events uh, with low left ventricular end diastolic um, uh, pressures. Uh, check the capillary wedge pressure uh, and uh, do some invasive monitoring so they've got recommendations for uh, the echo, uh, check the aortic valve opening, uh, check for valvular regurgitation, check for right ventricular uh, function really really importantly Uh, they've got some Doppler flow recommendations uh, and they've got some uh, pulmonary capillary wedge pressure recommendations check the pulmonary arterial pressure check the cardiac output by the thermodilution methods Uh, and then they've got a really uh, good little diagram of what the causes might be so so on one side is it outflow obstruction is it pump thrombosis is it aortic regurgitation hypertension inflow obstruction Um, is it just simple dehydration is it right ventricular failure Uh, is it venous pooling Uh, and just check isn't something silly like a a slow tamponade from from all that anticoagulation so they present a really comprehensive plan Uh, you could really see how if somebody went through this flow they could uh, focus up the implanting centre with far more information for them to try and sort out the cause uh, of the low blood pressure in somebody with an LVAD and actually this looks like the sort of paper that should be there ready to send to all receiving units if they phone in a panic with a patient uh, on an LVAD with low blood pressure not knowing what to do. So great job, Uh, really good uh, 2024 out this January in the American Journal of the American College of Cardiology and Jack, uh, check that out. The third uh, really good paper, really interesting we've got for you, uh, is from uh, Elizabeth Stevens, Stephanie Fuller, Damien Lapar, uh, in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. And it is a STS uh, survey on workforce and training implications of the 2022 Congenital Heart Surgery Practice Survey. So what did they do? Uh, so they did a really good job. They've got 312 contacts in America that have a stated specialty of paediatric heart surgery in the USA, uh, members of the SDS, and out of them, 64% responded. So that's a really good response rate. Uh, And they looked into their practice. So 90% were actively uh, working, the average age is 52, 43 to 59, Uh, and uh, 88% are males, only 12% of females uh, uh, as practising paediatric surgeons. Um, 80% of people in paediatrics are actually mixed practice surgeons, so I was quite surprised at that, I thought that would be a much lower statistic, Uh, and uh, 8% actually ticked exclusive paediatric surgery. 87% do perform the most complicated paediatric operations, category four and five, you know, Norwoods and uh, uh, sort of complex procedures, not just doing ASD and VSDs. Uh, But uh, here's some of the shocking results. You know, 24% would perform fewer than 50 paediatric cases a year. Um, 10% said their primary role was actually assisting, not even being the primary surgeon. And uh, for most of them, the case volume was 100 to 149. Um, uh, half said that they thought their volume was about right. But actually, um, 74 of the respondents said their case volume was too small. So I self-admitted I need to be doing more operations. Um, And then a really shocking 76 said there are too many surgeons in my region. So... Um, that's really you know quite surprising I would say um, a lot of them 57% said they were satisfied with their uh, their career with 27% being dissatisfied so there's a really good uh, opinion piece in the annals all about this it shows that there's a there's probably you know too many pediatric surgeons uh, there's a lot of trainees uh, there's a lot of people saying you know we need less surgeons and more volume but how are you going to achieve that it's really really difficult and uh, but i guess on the good front you know mostly uh, the pediatric surgeons are happy and satisfied and uh, and so it's 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 interesting food for thought uh, and uh, what do you think uh, do you think Is there a way to reduce the number of surgeons? Can you use retirement uh, to just reduce the number of surgeons? Um, Only 14% said they plan to retire in the next uh, five years, so so that's maybe not gonna work very well. Um, How else do you think you could reduce the number of surgeons thereby increasing their number of volume? Because we do know that the more you do, the better you get uh, at paediatric surgery and all type of surgery, really. So very interesting. There are three articles, and I'll just hand you over to the CTSNet office to tell you what else is on the website this week. This Sunday, The Beat will be broadcasted live from the STS Annual Meeting in San Antonio. Tune in on YouTube to watch Joel and Senior Editor Mara Antonoff discuss their favorite sessions at the meeting, along with the latest CT surgery news and content on CTSNet. Check out the show notes for the link to the live stream, which will air on Sunday, January 28th at 2.30 p.m. U.S. Central Time. Every single week, I get stunned by the increasing quality of the videos that are submitted to CTSNet. It really is just getting better and better. So thank you all uh, for being so keen. And we really have got some some star platinum level uh, uh, submitters at the moment. So I'm so grateful to people who spend hours editing and thinking about high quality videos without any compensation. And all they're doing is is for the benefit of our community. So so really a big shout out out to everyone that, that works on videos for TTSNet and uh, and certainly a big thank you to Stephen Spindell, uh, he's done some really good videos already but he has come out with an absolute beaut, tips, tricks and pitfalls for cardiopulmonary bypass uh, so he's got co-authors Reginald Do, ja- Jasmine Sue, and Autumn Stevenson but this is a beaut for your trainees and registrars this is everything that you would want to know as a new resident coming into cardiothoracic surgery about cannulation and a course it is the first thing that you get to do really isn't it as a as a resident and um, I actually wish I'd seen this video before I did my my first cannulations because it's beautiful they got really detailed explanation all the options and uh, and some really good hints and tips with really close-up views of the cannulation and some beautiful images as well even at the very most basic aortic cannulation they did a really nice exposition of the two aortic purse strings and I actually did. Didn't really appreciate the doing a little box, and then the second one actually fills in the corners of the box. Uh, I don't think I was ever that meticulous uh, doing my my cannulation, but but check that out, it was really nice. A few other options for aortic cannulation, Seldinger technique, uh stab and go technique, etc. They got venous cannulation, uh, two stage and bicavel, which is really nice. They then got antrograde and retrograde cardioplegia cannulation, hints and tips and pitfalls for that with video. Videos and decannulation as well. I think this is like a must watch for every resident uh, who's, who's doing their first uh, cannulation. So well done to them. A really really good and very selfless video so check that out on our website this week. The second video is by our master, Vincent Gaudiani. He's doing a series for us on operations involving a uh, TAVA removal because we're all seeing these more and more. And he presents, again, some beautiful uh, demonstrations. So we've got a 72-year-old lady who had a Sapiens TAVA two and a half years previously uh, and then the valve was stenosing, the aorta was enlarging. And so he shows us how he removes a TAVA using his handlebar moustache technique where you grab uh, the valve between the the left coronary and non-coronary cusps and you you rotate as you cut down that middle um, basically cutting at the annulus that is the safest place to cut and if you make an error it's the best place to do an aortic root enlargement Uh, and then as you roll it inwards it does usually pull away Um, and, uh, and in this case he then puts a 25 millimeter inspirus valve uh, and then an ascending aortic tube graft because the uh, ascending aorta was uh, dilating. And then Uh, and then there was a second case of two previous surgical surgically valves, and then a TAVA uh, and then the TAVA had significant patient prosthesis mismatch you know this is something that we are seeing people who don't want to submit someone after multiple valve replacements to another open operation they try and put a TAVA in but the patient prosthesis mismatch just means it it was not the right procedure Uh, and so Vince Gaudiani had to take this patient for a third time redo Aortic valve, remove that valve in valve tava, uh, and then the previous surgical aortic valve, and then he did a patch enlargement. So you know it didn't matter uh, going into the annulus because he just did it on purpose because he was gonna enlarge it, and then he got an absolute whopping 27 millimeter uh, valve uh, into that enlarged aortic root. He's an absolute master of these operations, and I've really loved watching all of them. I've had the privilege of seeing all seven videos that he's done uh, and this is the second in his series well done him and the third video we better put something out there for the thoracic surgeons uh, among you Uh, and this is a nice video from professor zamir ali khan uh, who works in blackpool in the uk and uh, he shows us a nice advanced segmentectomy case this is a right-sided segment seven and eight segmentectomy uh, interestingly he uses a posterior VATS approach pretty rare uh, but uh, originating in in uh, Edinburgh by Bill Walker I actually did uh, a year of posterior approach there but the interesting thing about the video is, is actually it actually looks like either a robotic approach you know it's the same places where you put your robotic camera pretty much uh, so you know whatever approach you do I think this is a useful video because it shows a nice uh, CD scan, they segmented up so you see segment 7 and 8 and then Professor Ali Khan does a great job of finding the S7 and 8 artery, the S7 and 8 vein and the S7 and 8 bronchus and he does an inflation test uh, after cutting the bronchus uh, and does a really nice job of showing us an S7 and 8 segmentectomy, one of those things that you don't do for a year and then suddenly you're called on to do it so it's quite good to have a video like this up your sleeve so that uh, you've got a little reminder, whatever approach you take so there are videos for the week I hope you really enjoy those Um, there's obviously no bigger upcoming event than the STS event uh, starting uh, January uh, 28th I'm actually flying out on Thursday to be there on Friday. We're going to have a big chat about uh, our year with CTSnet. So many exciting things coming up. Our World's Best Series from the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, we're going to cover loads more conferences, maybe ISMICS, EACTS, AATS, all sorts of things going on. And we're going to choose another World's Best Centre to go and see. As long as long and, and there's going to be loads of other exciting things coming up. We're having a a website revamp very shortly, so there'll be some new features to tell you about in the future and come and see us at the STS. We're going to have a CTSNet booth. It'd be lovely to actually meet you, see what you think about what we're doing on CTSNet. Uh, we, you could even give us some comments, maybe tell us about a video you want to submit. We'd gladly take it. And we, of course, are going to uh, meet and chat to some of the very best speakers at the STS. We've got a load lined up. We've got 17 people we're speaking with, uh, which is going to be super, super exciting. So come and see us uh, at the STS in hopefully lovely warm san antonio although the weather forecast isn't the best is it um a few other things are around as well, so check out the EAX website. There's an aortic dissection webinar. It's a virtual online course, nice and cheap, super easy, February the 15th. And with that, I'm going to go upstairs and start packing for the STS. And, uh, and we will publish loads of videos. Uh, we're actually going to do the podcast live at the STS next week, so check that out. And we might do a few little uh, live posts as well as telling you about it when we get back. Thanks a lot for watching all the way to end that's very nice of you and uh, my name is Joel Dunning and hopefully I might see you at the SDS or at another conference in 2024.